Good afternoon. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here today. Uh, my sobriety date is December 1st, 1990. My home group is the Dawnbreakers Big Book Meeting. Uh, we meet in Chelmsford, Mass. at uh, 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Uh, it's a wonderful group, and once in a while we even have a good meeting. Uh, you're always welcome to come by. And my current service commitment to Alcoholics Anonymous is alternate delegate for Eastern Mass Area 30. And... Uh, each of the speakers will go for about 20 minutes, and then as time permits, we'll have speaking from the floor. The sharing from the floor will be limited to two minutes each, so everybody has a chance. And uh, it said to briefly qualify it, and uh, it's neat that I, in Area 30, used the Mass in September at our assembly, the delegate will say, is anybody going to this uh, international convention? Would you consider making yourself available? So you just sign a piece of paper and then... I got a call in uh, a letter in March this year, making sure that it was still uh, ready. And uh, the daily reprieve is uh, was the topic right away. And uh, I like that because my sponsor used to say that he wakes up every day with a brand new set of old ideas. <laughs> and that's what this daily reprieve for me is about: is changing some of those old ideas. Uh, I've been blessed enough to be sober for a few days, but I've never been sober today before. I've got to do something today for my sobriety. I've got to do something today for my recovery. And if I'm not working on my recovery, then uh, I'm going backwards. And uh, I love the fact that it's a day at a time. And uh, I love the fact that uh, just coming in here and trying to be of use uh, has given me so many opportunities. And I'd like to thank you all for that. And our first speaker today is going to be Earlene. Wow. Hi, family. My name is Earlene, and I'm a grateful, nervous alcoholic, okay? Oh, wow. This is, you know, we look so wonderful. Do y'all know how good you look? Oh, my goodness. This is just a miracle. Uh, I'm just going to just tell you a little bit about how I got here. My anniversary date is, uh, Lord, I didn't want to forget my name, February the 22nd, 1985. And this is my 25th year, and I had this great idea. Thank you. And I thought that I would be the, not the old-timer on the panel, but I am. Okay. So uh, I came in when I was a teenager. So, uh, it, you know, y'all got to realize. So anyway, I, I told everybody in my group, I want to speak at the International. And it kind of looked at me kind of strange. Nobody said anything. You know, I kept saying, I want to speak at the International one day. This is my 25th year. Y'all know how I can do that. Nobody paid me any attention. So finally somebody said, why don't you call New York? I said, well, okay, because I didn't know who the delegate was, and I didn't know what to do. So I called, and I got a chance to speak to Rick. And I want to thank the General Service uh, for inviting me, because by the time I got to my delegate, it was too late. And she said it was too late. She was sending the names. And I just kind of said, okay, you know, well, I tried. And just on my birthday, May 10th, I got this email from Rick inviting me. So, you know, don't, my, my sponsor always say, don't end the story. So miracles do happen. And this is truly a miracle for me. 
Uh, I just want to say this is, this is the, you know, I've had a lot of wonderful things happen in my life. And I'm at the age where I start making a bucket list. Any of you who are around my age, like about 35, okay? And so I started my bucket list and I told my sponsor, I said, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna take Tom Jordan cruise, we're gonna go to this and that. But this is the top of my bucket list. And I've had so many great things that happen to me. But this is the number one thing. And I just want to say that. I really am grateful. I'm going to just give a little bit of my story, you know, quick, fast, and dirty. Uh, my first husband was a bank rob- robber, and my now husband is a cowboy. So that kind of gives you an idea how there was a lot of dra- drama and a lot of excitement, and then there are horses and, you know, poop and all that other stuff. So it, it, it's a little different. My life is a little different now, and, and it really is true. I married my childhood sweetheart. and. I now know that the beginning of the insanity started then, you know, we got married, and we shouldn't have got married, but I didn't know, you know, we were fighting all the time, but I thought if we got married, it would be better, guys, that don't work, trust me, and it just got worse, and when he decided to be a bank robber, he came from a very prominent family uh, in D.C., I'm originally from D.C., southeast Washington, D.C., and that's still home, hey, and that's where I go to all my meetings, somebody got on me today, you know, I said, well, I just used to be in home. And so anyway, uh, he decided one day, uh, you know, he, like I really, really, back in the 60s, bank robbing was very, very prominent in D.C. Whether you all knew it, I mean, it was just every week, and my husband was on the list. And, 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 and the detectives on the squad really knew my name. They would show up any time and say, you know, my name was Smith. Then I've had three names, Anderson, Smith, Nance Wright. So I was Smith then, and, and, and they would come say to me, oh, early, and he's done it again. But, but what really happened for the insanity that I thought something was wrong was that one day he used to keep arsenal, is that what you got, guns in the house? And, and it, you know, I know why guys today don't keep guns in the house with, with women, with wives. But anyway, he, he, he had guns in the house. And this particular day, as usual, I was drinking because, see, alcohol became my best friend. It was my companion because he was never home. And I would drink every day, all day. And I remember uh, getting upset because he didn't do something that I wanted him to do. And I got one of his guns. And so he used to carry a pistol. And I didn't know that the pistols at home weren't loaded. See, that's another thing. But his pistol was, pistol was, and he proceeded to pull it, and I pulled it, and I was drunk. You know, when you're drunk, I mean, really, that was my first blackout. I think that was the beginning of the um, disease of being diseased in my soul because I didn't know. I was crazy. Who would pull a gun on somebody that had another gun? And now I know when you pull a gun, you're supposed to use it. I didn't know that. I thought you could just scare somebody with a gun. And I remember him telling me, he said, if you had pulled the trigger, I would have killed you. And that was my husband. And I knew then something is wrong with this picture. You know, I, I, I don't understand, and, 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 and thank God he went to jail, <laughs> and, and, and I was kind of set free. And, and I kind of tell that, that story because, you know, that was being in bondage. That was being in bondage, not only to the excitement I had a bodyguard. And I used to tell people I was living a bonding Clyde life, you know, uh, and I thought that was exciting. Matter of fact, the movie was out then, and I really kind of thought that's what we lived. It was fast. It was exciting. It was a lot of alcohol. There were a lot of other things, traveling. There was a lot of money. 
It was just exciting, and I got caught up, and I got addicted to that lifestyle. Oh, my goodness, bright lights, here I come. And I moved from that husband to another area. Once again, bright lights, owner of a uh, really well-known uh, restaurant and club, and my drinking just got worse and got worse and got worse. And somewhere along the lines, do you anybody seen that new commercial with KYS where the man and, and the woman is together and they said it's a boom? Well, you know that, and I keep saying, "Wow, is it like you know a boom?" And, and then that's how my first drink was. But somewhere along the line, it, it failed me. It was no more booms. It was no, there was no more booms. It was always, uh, you know, depression and let down and disappointments and, and, and feeling of emptiness. The, the alcohol used to fill the void, but it was no longer working. And I didn't know what to do. And the more I drank, the worse I got. And one day I reached out and there was this commercial that said, if you think you have a problem, call this number. And I reached out for help. That's the first time I had ever in my life asked someone to help me. Because, see, I could always get it together with a drink. I could always fix it. I was always the person in control that would help everybody else. But the first time in my life, 25 years ago, I reached out to somebody else. And that's what I have been doing for 25 years. I still have a sponsor who I talk to every day. I still have, this This is all D.C. D.C. just got, hey, D.C., raise your hands, all of D.C. Hey, I brought them with me, okay? I was going to make sure somebody was going to be here today for me. I don't know about y'all. I brought them with me because you all have taught me this is a we program. I don't have to do any about anything alone. They know I'm nervous. They know what I've been through. Uh, I am not alone. One of the things that I have learned to do, you know, I'm a PK kid, so I'm also a late bloomer. I think that's why I broke out so wild and so crazy in the beginning. What's my time? I don't want to go over time. I'm okay. All right. I'm going to talk a little fast. But but I was a late bloomer, you know, and I wanted to get out and see what the world was about. And, and I just didn't. I was very protected, and that's what I decided to do. When I did get out, what can I say? My first drink got me drunk. My first drink got me drunk. I never could sip. I, I never, I, cigarette, sip. What do you mean sip? Mm, I sip. I, I watch, you ever watch anybody in a restaurant now and they have a drink and, and, and you, you're eating and you kind of look and you know what it was and you look back and it hasn't moved. It's still the same thing. Like, why do they waste their money? You know, you know, I would have been on my third, fourth, or fifth drink. So, uh, so I'm talking about the daily reprieve. I've learned to come in here and listen. I t- still take suggestions. Uh, I, I do have sponsees. I have had one sponsee, Tracy, for 15 years. And what can I say about that? I don't know. Uh, it's just a blessing. Uh, uh, Lee, you know, they, they teach me. A lot of times they teach me, and I have to step back and, and look. You know, I came up with a religious background, and we were into a lot of religious activities. But my daily reprieve of praying is not a religious activity. It is my intimate relationship with God. And I take it very, very seriously. And I know that when my house is not in order on a daily basis through my prayer, then, you know, then that's when you get mad when somebody turns, cuts you off, and you know, when you're driving or when somebody at work says something instead of you holding the pen, instead of writing it or sending an email, you can kind of step back and look at the part I played. 
I don't know what I would do without that. And I'm not the kind of person that has a traditional meditation where I sit and say, hmm, or chant, you know, but I do know how to be still. When I got here, when people used to tell me, you know, you got to learn how to sit with self. I'm like, what do you mean sit with self? I'm with self all the time. Wherever I go, I take self. But you got to learn how to get inward. You got to be quiet. You got to be still. Not only do I pray, when I pray, I don't know about you guys, I expect an answer. I expect an answer. I expect directions. I expect to be led and guided. I don't have to do anything anymore. You know, at, at this point in my life, I'm just so laid back. The only thing I want is peace. Peace. I am in the promises of this program. This program told me the first thing is you don't drink, you're going to be okay. That's the first thing it told me. Then it said if you keep coming back, more will be revealed to you. I keep going back. I keep giving service. Now, one of the things that I, I don't do enough, I can't get on my knees anymore, y'all, because I've had surgery, and I, I love people who get just roll out the bed on their knees. But if I get down, I wouldn't be able to get up. So I start praying when I open my eyes in the morning. I start talking to God, and then I start listening for answers. Uh, I said that this is one of the things that has happened to me that is a, really a miracle. A lot of times there are things that we feel that it's impossible. It's impossible for it to be a change. I told somebody the other day, I've been praying for a problem for 10 years. 10 years I've been praying, praying faithfully for the same situation, and nothing, nothing has changed. And then I was in my prayer time saying, well, I don't understand. I'm, you know, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do. I'm not drunk. I don't steal. I don't cheat on my husband. I'm trying to do the right thing. What, you know, what is it? And then what came into my spirit was what has changed is me. I have changed in 10 years. The situation hasn't changed, but I have changed, and that's what's so wonderful. I have a sister circle. I have women that we celebrate birthdays. I have a, I have a wonderful network. I mean, I, any of these people who raise their hands, I'm comfortable going to any of them with any particular thing I need to go to. When there's a problem with a man, I go to Lee. When I need to go and talk to Cassandra about something outside of that, I can talk to her. I am just that comfortable with who I am. And, you know, my first sponsor used to tell me, you need to let somebody know. You need to tell somebody what's going on. You should never take a chance with this on your own. I don't have to do this on my own. Um, the first thing I told you about that was wonderful was the, the opportunity for a little a woman like me from Southeast D.C., and thousands of us, somebody said the registration was 56, thousands of people who could have been standing here. But God chose for me to be here at this time and this place. The other situation was um, that um, I had to go to court with my son the other day. And you, all of you who have ever had any dealings with the court, if you're not the plaintiff or the person, you can't stand up and talk to no judge. And I went to Tracy, I said, okay, now can I talk to the judge? Can I raise my hand? She said, girl, you can't raise my hand and talk to no judge. What are you talking about? I'm like, well, I need to talk to the judge. I need to tell the judge something because she don't know. And she said, looked at me, she said, well, let me make a call or maybe write a letter, whatever. So I, I prayed about it. I got information. And you know what? I know the Internet is the, the highway to everything. But I like y'all to kind of tell me stuff. 
I really like, I like, I like the human being. I know I can look it up. I know how to do that. But I like you all to kind of tell me from your experiences, because there's nothing I've gone through in this entire 25 years that somebody in this room can't help me with, whether it's a medical problem, a mental problem, or whatever. So I, I got to the courthouse, and I, I, I did look a little different from the other people sitting out there in court, you know, what I did. And I sat with him. And the judge kind of looked up at me, and she looked at him. And so when he got up before the, the judge and whatever, and um, she looked at him, and they said whatever they said. And he kind of looked perplexed. Kind of looked a little perplexed. I had a dream the night before that I was in this car, and I'll never remember my dreams. And I was in the car, and I was drowned, and the car was going down. And just as the car went down to the bottom of the ocean, some kind of way the car came back up. And as I was sitting on the front row, because I learned, you know, my sponsor said, don't sit in the back of a meeting. Get up front, get up front, because you need to listen. You need to listen. So I'm in the front, all everywhere, court, meetings, wherever. I'm in the front, because I want somebody to notice me. So just... It's the truth. Just as they got ready to, uh, the judge looked up and saw me. She did this. And she couldn't say it. she did this. She beckoned for me to rise. And y'all would have thought I was Perry Mason. I said, Your Honor, thank you for letting me address the court. And I took it from there. And I told her what I needed because y'all have taught me. You know, you have not because you asked not. Y'all have taught me to ask for what I need. And I told her what I needed. She turned. She started ordering stuff for my son. And what can I say? A miracle. There was no way for me to speak to that judge. It was impossible. But prayer, being still, being patient, letting somebody know what I need. Uh, I heard Donna share in, in a meeting a couple of weeks ago about there are several things that can cause someone to go back out, you know, and one of them may be uh, is death. And I lost my mother several months ago. And I just want to say the women in my, in my program, and Lee and Tracy and Ivy and Gwen, each one knew what to do. Nobody had to ask me. They came in and they took over. I have a prayer partner. And me and my prayer partner pray every day. And the reason why I have a prayer partner is I want to make sure I'm praying right. Somebody make me accountable. That was the first death. The second death is a spiritual mental death. My son is schizophrenic. I cannot begin to tell you. I cannot begin to share with you what it's like when someone is going through that. But because of you all, I can get through it because people come to me all the time. I want to leave with you my prayer every morning that I wake up. And I wrote it down because I didn't want to misquote it. Forget it. For the third step prayer on page 63 of the big book, this is my daily desire. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou will. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do that I will. I love you all. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rolene. Our next speaker is Jim. alcoholic, member of the Paradise Group in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And my name is Jim. First of all, 
My good buddy over there, the chicken man, is here. Don M., 35 years yesterday. Congratulations. Whew, what a, I'm telling you, talk about nervous. I've been nervous for, uh, for a little while. I want to thank the committee for, uh, for asking me. i got to also thank my sponsor, who stuck my name in, past delegate. I don't know whether he wanted to get even with me or not, but uh, it's always good to have a past delegate as your sponsor. And I, uh, I have learned so much from him. And uh, I'm going to share a little bit about uh, my last couple of drunks. And uh, uh, I called my wife back many, many years ago. And my dry date, by the way, is December 19, 1987. And I called my wife at home from work because I didn't know what I had done the night before. And I called her home, and I heard those magic words, we have to talk. (laughs) And my lovely bride's just sitting right over there keeping me out. And so I said to her, well, what do we have to talk about? Because I don't know about you, but I can, I can make those excuses, uh, you know, I have a hundred of them by the time I get home. And she said, wait till you get home. And I didn't want to go home. I don't know about you, but I did not want to go home. But a guy's got to eat, right? Great. So I went home, we had dinner, and then we started talking. And then with uh, Susan talking, and I started backing up, and she got me into a corner, and I ended up walking right out the side door. That's how I handled that situation, because I needed to have a couple, just to take the pressure off. And, you know, I came home that night, and I almost made it home. Almost made it home. I could see my house. I was two blocks away from my house when Hamilton's finest pulled me over. And I got charged with impaired that night. Blew a 180. Just having a couple. And I got really mad because they towed my car. And I was two blocks away from my house in the residential neighborhood, but they towed my car. And so, you know, I went to court. And standing up in front of the judge, I didn't get a lawyer or nothing because I figured, I'm guilty, you've got me. And standing up in front of the judge, I said, Your Honor, i got a problem, and I'm going to do something about it. Never let your wife hear you say that in open court. Susan was going to help me, too. And every day I came home from work, I lost my license for a year, by the way, and every day I come home from work, she'd ask me, what do you think about going to Alcoholics Anonymous? I don't want to go there. I'm not that bad. She said, well, you better, you better maybe talk to them at work. They have an employee's assistance program down there at work. Why don't you go talk to them? So every day I came home, she'd ask me, did you see him? And I said, well, they were too busy today, honey. <laughs> the fellow's in charge, he's on vacation. That bought me almost three weeks. <laughs> they had a medical emergency. They shut down the medical department. I mean, there was always a reason. And Susan said to me, you know, you don't call them tomorrow make an appointment. I'm going to call them for you. So I came home that day. She said, did you, did you talk with them? And I said, yeah. 
He said, what did he say? Well, he said I wasn't that bad on it. If, if you could just, if you could just limit yourself to maybe one or two beers, you'd be all right. She said, he actually said that? I said, certainly. I wouldn't lie to you. <laughs> Not me. So, so I, I, I lost my license, you know, but it, until about three months later. And I proved to that judge that I had a problem and I was going to do something about it. I got charged again. <laughs> Impaired over the limit and driving while under suspension. I forgot you got to have a license to drive a car. <laughs> it all started out with one beer at lunchtime. And I'm a big wrestling fan. A lot, of, a lot of people call me the Hulk because of the mustache. And I'm a big, big fan. So I'm having a beer at lunchtime. My wife walks by and said, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm just having one. Get off my back. Well, that, when she talked to me about two weeks later, she said to me, you were fine at dinner. I said, we had dinner? I was in a blackout. I didn't know. But I got charged that night again and blew a 260. See, I had no idea where I was going. I hopped in the car, got about three blocks, four blocks away from the house. The light was red. And I just stopped right at that intersection, that white line. Well, just a few feet, just a little bit over, like 15, <laughs> 15 feet into the intersection. <laughs> and this car was coming down the road, and I met him at the same time and ripped the side of his car right off. And I'm lucky nobody was hurt. Well, this time it was jail time. Well, I'll tell you, that next morning, I called Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, when I got up, my wife was crying. She was going to have to do one of the hardest things she's ever had to do in her life, was ask this drunk to leave. Everything I owned was in luggage by Glad. <laughs> Some of... Some of you have a set of that luggage, I can think. I had ten matching suitcases for a buck forty-nine, and I, I was on my way out, so I had to think fast. So you know, I made a made the phone call. They sent a buddy Jack up. Jack Jack ended up coming up, and taking me to my first meeting, and there I am, cleaned up a little bit, looking out the front window and. I'm telling you, Jack looked like a drunk. And I just shook my head. I didn't know what, what this thing was all about, you know. But I just followed Jack around. See, Jack did something that uh, a, lot of, a lot of people just don't do anymore. Jack took me to a meeting every day. He just didn't say, here's a list, son, away you go. He took me to uh, the mission. My first meeting was down at the mission. And he, uh, you know, he smiled at me. He called me his remember when. But Jack wanted to take me down to the grassroots. And I, and they had a, they had a gratitude meeting going on, and there was food all over the place, and I figured maybe Jack called ahead, you know, just to, just to keep me interested. 
And I and and I, and I also figured that maybe I could help a few of those people, you know. <laughs> in a couple of weeks, I looked around, you know, they, they look pretty sick. In a couple of weeks, uh, this thing, you know, I could maybe help a few people. But, you know, I just kept going and going and going and going and going and following Jack, and, and, and he took me around to meetings for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I joined his home group, and I asked Jack to be my sponsor. And, you know, I asked him, you get a job. And I was introduced to service that night. Get a job. And he asked me, you know, what, uh, been to high school? I said, yep. College? I said, well, I was thinking about it. <laughs> he said, let me go over here and talk with a few old timers and we'll get a job for you. We come back a few minutes later. He said, we got a job for you. He said, I told them all your qualifications and we're putting you on ashtrays. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's how I started, doing ashtrays. One on every other seat, you know. But I stuck with it. I stuck with it. But I'll tell you something. I got my one-year medallion. My wife was there. Whoop-de-doo. You know, she knew I was pulling a con. That's what she figured. He's got a drink yet. I just got to sit back and watch him. And all the way up to my fourth-year anniversary. And when I got my four-year pin, my wife asked me to go back drinking. Because she said at least it was predictable. So I was having a dry drunk. I just put the cork in the bottle. I just read the steps and just the ones that, that applied. <laughs> and I was going to rewrite two of them. <laughs> but our house was just a house. It wasn't a home. So that night my wife, my wife went down and on and I, uh, I got busy with the steps and got a little extra help because I needed it. And we worked things out. And I really hit those steps hard. And I kept in service. And you know, things are pretty good today. Real good. I haven't had to look back. And she knows I'm not going to pick up that drink today. She just feels it. And a few years ago, we had some time off together because I get a 10-week bonus from work. Vacation added to my other holidays. And I was off 17 and a half weeks from work. And at the end of it, my wife said to me, you know, it's kind of nice having you around here. Compared to that first day... When she met Jack, and she said, you keep him. <laughs> That's what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me. It's all about change. And working the steps. And with that, you get a daily reprieve. And you know, when you got a sponsor like Martin, you can't help but get into service. And I had a month off from service once. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be a little bit longer than that, but he said, you know, they need an alternate DCM in your district. And then I became the DCM, and now I'm the secretary registrar for our area. And you talk about busy. 
I'm looking after 765 groups. Direct link to the GSO in New York. And it's, it's awesome. What a, what a feeling to give back, to be of service. And that's how I get my daily repeat, to be of service. I don't have to think about what I did last night. I'm not afraid to talk to my wife or even call her anymore. I got nothing to be ashamed of. But I got blessings today like you wouldn't believe. And I don't know if there's any grandparents here or not. I'm a grandpa. I got two little ones now. Little Ella, I'm going to tell you about little Ella because she's just a sweetie. And we were in a restaurant. We got uh, Ella for the day, and we go shopping and stuff. And we were at a, we were at a restaurant, having a little dinner. And Ella at that time had a little acid reflux, so she'd a little sped up a little bit, you know. So my wife, you know, being a neat and tidy person that she is, took her into the the, the woman's washroom. And Ella just finished having a cold. So she saw the paper towel dispenser there and figured out she was going to get her nose wiped again, and that hurt. So she started screaming at the top of her lungs in the wash. Grandpa, save me, save me, save me. Now, just imagine, I mean, that's got to be a proud moment in any grandpa's life. But just imagine not ever, ever hearing that because you've been banned from your son's home from drinking. I'm a very, very blessed man today. I got two good boys, and they call every day. I got a sponsor that saved my life. Because a few years ago, I was going to walk away from service. It was those personalities before principles. And I was under attack. I know you all can't identify with that. And you know, they were going to vote me out from being a DCM. Because I didn't attend the meeting. And the night that I was going for the vote, my wife was throwing up. Sick. We hadn't both slept in a month. And people were patting their hand on my back saying, well, don't take it personal. You know, I went to my sponsor, dragged me down to the Eastern Canada Regional Forum. Took two days to drive down there. To Turo, Nova Scotia. And when you got two delegates, a couple DCMs and a GSR, you can't not talk. You talk about service, you know. You can't help it. And meeting the people from GSO, unbelievable. Renewed me. To hell with them people. Right? I'm staying. No matter what. I'm staying. And thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Ellen?
guys are kidding me because uh, I wasn't nervous standing up there. Jim goes, you know, I said, no, that Miss America thing has come up. <laughs> and I said, what? And I said, you know those five finalists who have to stand there and act like they don't care about the results? That Miss America thing going on. I'm going to try to get through this without making that thing crack. Do you have any suggestions? <laughs> there we go. Okay. My name is Ellen. I'm an alcoholic. Hi. Um, uh, my sobriety date, I'm the baby of the group, um, is August 2nd, 1999. <laughs> Thank you. And of course, I'm here to talk about a daily reprieve. Um, last night, our bishop, uh, we were having dinner, and he said he had heard somebody describe it. I'd been given a spiritual battery that only holds a 24 hour charge. I said, Good, there's a sermon in that. <laughs> Um, how I got here. My background is in nursing. I was a mental health nurse. Physician heal thyself. <laughs> and I was that nurse on the other end of the line that somebody called about you and said, I got a hot one here. He's got this many years of drinking and that many blackouts, and he's uh, been in jail this many times, and I'm on the other end checking off boxes. Yeah, he meets the criteria. You can admit him for detoxification. We'll talk again in two days. I'll authorize that much. No, nothing more. And yet, I was drinking daily. I was depressed, more depressed than I'd ever been. Um... But I didn't have jail. I didn't have all the not yets and everything. So I couldn't be. I couldn't be diagnosis 303.90. <laughs> Me? And I had the support of my peers because we were so acclimated to that checkoff system that when I finally added myself at work, they said, you're not an alcoholic. And I could see the little tick boxes going off in their head. <laughs> I qualified. I was seeing a therapist then, and she said, you are an alcoholic. I don't care if you don't meet the criteria for 303. <laughs> she said, you need to go to an AA meeting, and then you need to go to another AA meeting. You need to report back here next week. You're an alcoholic. Okay. So I went to a meeting. I was too proud to... Um, to ask somebody outright, is this the AA meeting? But I knew, find the coffee pot, find the people around the coffee pot. There were a couple meetings going on at that church that night. And just followed the people that had the coffee. Wrong. I wound up at a Jews for Jesus meeting. <laughs> Um, I excused myself real fast. 
Um, I want to talk, I want to give you a list of my thoughts in real life, in real terms, so that you would see that I am really serious about my daily reprieve, and the cost of it is to maintain my spiritual condition. Can you do that magic again? Okay. All righty. Early on in my recovery, if you're new in recovery, you can start working on this now. It's okay. I give you permission. Um, And my first big thing, see, to me, maintenance of a spiritual condition means eliminating the obstacles that keep you from hearing God's direction. And um, one big obstacle was I was dating several men all at one time. And corresponding with others on the Internet. Because I'd just been divorced and I wanted to know if I was marketable. But there was no degree of attention that would feed that. You know? Well, you might like me, but I need 10,000 more to like me. Um, And my first sponsor said, this is rule number one, leave the boys alone. The men will entertain you, but the women will heal you. Tough words. I tested that. (laughs) See, that's not a daily reprieve. (laughs) I tested that, and um, uh, I realized my picker was very busted. (laughs) You know, the thing that, the thing that, that, you know, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was, this guy called me, he was late for our date, and he said, I got to partying a little. Partying? I'm in AA. And um, I said, would you define partying? And he said, well, a little ooh, marijuana, a little cocaine. <gasps> cocaine! I was one of those pure alcoholics because I never knew when I was going to have to give a urine sample <coughs> as a nurse. And I'm a kind of a goody two-shoes from the old days. So I was horrified. Cocaine, I hung up on him. That's very funny because if you knew me in the here and now, you'd know I'm married to a pretty big extra dealer. <laughs> oh, yeah. My service in AA is being married to a delegate. Okay. Okay. Thus ends leave the boys alone. The next one is I met my husband to be, never realizing he'd be my husband to be, but I heard him share at an alcathon at Christmas time, my first Christmas in AA, and I just learned my lesson about leave the boys alone. And I said, That is a remarkable man. But I knew my lesson, and I just put him somewhere on some distant shelf and applied myself to maintaining my spiritual condition. I sort of call it my year of purification. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) I followed directions. It was a little hard to end it with the boys, you know, but enough with the boys. Um, 
um, about, well, maybe a little less than a year later, I asked him out. And he agreed. And then I dumped him. And that was exactly the right thing to do because nobody's ever, no woman has ever said no to him. And I wasn't playing him. I was just worried. I was just worried about where this was going and whether it was going to knock me over spiritually. Careful, careful girl. Um, after, after my husband and I started dating and we got to talking about our spiritual conditions individually and together, I said, look, I used to be a major church lady. And I really was. And there was a time where I was teaching Bible studies and, you know, doing all these saintly things. And I had earned my halo. And and then, um, for whatever reason that happens to us inside, the cancer began. And there was no connection left with God, as I understood him in the past. And he, my husband would see me crying sometimes. And, and I'd say, well, it's because I need, I need a new relationship with God. And um, I said, I, I know all the words to prayers. I can read that third step prayer, but it feels hollow. I said, what kind of God is this that leaves me bereft after, you know, serving him so well? And um, I said, I I just don't even know how to talk to God or how to hear him. So the prayer that I said was, God, I don't even know how to pray to you. I know you're there. Would you please give me some words to pray? Because I can do one of these, oh, Heavenly Father, you know, delicious prayers. But they're kind of fake for me. And uh, so I said, God, just give me the words to say a prayer to you so you and I can get back into a relationship together. And I got the answer. It really was from God. It was two words. And I never would have thought these words up. But it was a beautiful prayer. Complete in two words. And the words were, meet me. I said, what? What does that mean? So I did one of these, you know, go to the dictionary, look it up to see if God made sense. (laughs) He made perfect sense. Meet has like 20 definitions. But the ones that stood out to me were, get with me face to face. Sit with me. Meet up with me. You know, let's exchange ideas. Um, The second one was, when you meet the rent, that means to pay for, to pay the price of. And I thought, well, I'm not paying any price. God's taking care of this tab. I thought, what a perfect word for that. Meet me. I'll cover your bill. You know, I'll meet the rent for it. And the third one was, where two rivers meet and become one. That was a powerful one to me. I kept seeing Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, in my, in my eyes, where I think it's three rivers that come together and become one. Um, and I thought, okay, this God is perfect. He knew just the right two words. And that's the only prayer I prayed for the longest time, just meet me. And I felt like I was 
back on, you know, the FM channel that I was supposed to be on. That was really good because that's the beginning of real spiritual maintenance there. Um, midway through my history in AA, one of the things that I had to eliminate in order to continue to hear God was the way I was using food. And so I said, look, you're the God of my sobriety. How about you help me just give me a godly appetite? Give me, you know it's standing in the way. You know every time I pick something up, I want to jam the radio wave so I don't hear you about this. And um, so that's on January 2009, I started listening, letting God choose what the choices are. And I've lost 60 pounds since then. Yeah. Um, recently, my husband and I were um, at a Walmart. God goes to Walmart. <laughs> he was there one day, a couple weeks ago. And we were, um, we had this house on the Potomac River that's uh, all broken down. And, um, and we used it in the summertime. And we hadn't gotten down since he became delicate. But one day, we used to live there on the weekends, but it's, it's a rough, rough time, you know, when you've got to be a circuit preacher and give the conference report, you know. It feels like a circuit preacher. Um, so we were in Walmart buying all the stuff you buy to, to clean up your house and, um, and to stock the shelves a little bit. Well... We had just cashed out with the cashier. We were completing that transaction, and it occurred to me, did we put the water, the cases of water, on the counter? How about the cases of soda? And this is really, this is the kind of stuff of spiritual maintenance. You know, can I let it slide? Should I let it slide? What would you do? There's sliders over here. <laughs> and I thought, oh, ye, woman of God. <laughs> You're about to let that one slide, aren't you? And see, this is, this is where God is taking good care of me. He hooked me up with a man that sometimes is more honest than I am. And he said, oh, no, we forgot about the sodas and the, and the water. And um, I call that my $18 test at Walmart. I failed the test. I was going to let it slide. And see, that's the, that's the kind of thing that sits in the back of your head, plays with you. The cancer moves in. The distance begins. And the channel is dimmed on the radio. Um, I learned a lesson here at the convention. After Toronto, my goal was to save enough money to buy a whole bunch of pens and have them to do, like design a pen, pay for them to be made, and have a whole bunch of them to have here to trade my butt off, you know, to get all those cool pens. And um, we did that, 
we had a good time, and uh, this was helpful for my husband because, you know, being the delegate, they swapped things at their conferences. So, um, so we had pins for him to swap at the two conferences he served at. And uh, so we came here with bags, oh, Virginia pins. Say, says, uh, they say Virginia is for lovers. And, uh, man, we were giving them out like crazy. Me and my sponsor were having a ball yesterday, meeting people, trading pins with them. But I could feel some cancer out there. There was something wrong with the picture. Something's going on. What it was was I caught myself in the act of chasing the pin and not the person. I'd walk both face up to a guy. Hey, you want to make a deal? You want to do business? That's a church lady talking. Um, and then I never even noticed their name on their name tag. What's up with that? A new addiction, you know. There it is. Off in the, you know, it's there. It's eating at me a little. Um, it, well, it ate at me for a good deal of the um, the rest of the evening last night. Because I was like walking around scoping people. <laughs> And you were, you know, those of you with naked, naked things, you were like the maggots. <laughs> and I was Miss America <laughs> with the pins. And um, so when I got up this morning, I stripped my thing down. I said, God. We've been working a while here on humility. Let's keep it simple. Let's take a lesson from this. I know you're nagging me. I know how you work. And you're doing it. And today, your daughter is ready to look at it, get rid of it. Um, I just started this kick. I'm going to turn back the hands of time. I found a few age spots, you know, and I just turned 59, and I said, I have to use some expensive cream on my face to eliminate the wrinkles and the damage and uh, eliminate the free radicals that are out there. So I slather on these antioxidants. And I, I'm vigilant. I'm out in the sun, and I don't have sunscreen on. There's a former tanner, like crazy, is now panicking over the sun is going to give me age spots. Well, God will deal with the vanity of that. But, I mean, the health reasons are good. But there's some vanity behind that. Would that I be as vigilant about my exposure to the sun as I, you know, I should be that vigilant with contaminants to my soul. I should be that vigilant. Uh-oh, no sunscreen. Uh-oh, we just didn't pay that lady for the water and the... Should have gone that way. Didn't go that way. Husband saved the debt. 
I think that's about all I can share. I hope that I hope that you came to this this workshop with as much as much history as you can carry with you. I hope you can take a look at those obstacles that keep you from hearing God. I hope He meets you too. That's it.